When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mr. Mackey? Can I just call you Phil? Call me what you want, Kenny. Hi, Phil. Call me whatever you want. Who's that guy sitting what there? What do you call me, Kenny? A dum-dum? Huh? Hi, John. Well, that's no way to start off the day. And who I else hate is you in too. there? Matthew. Matthew. Shit. Yep. Uh, he's legally changed his name to football, actually. <laughs> football, football. Yeah. So why do people hate you? Is it because you make fun of car fires and stuff? Uh, I stirred up the uh, bicycle riders and pedestrians this oh. morning on Twitter. Pat's wow. been doing that for 20 years. It's it's really easy. It's like in the old days of talk radio where you say, abortion, call now. <laughs> it's 6-5-1. It's, it's, yeah, it's the same thing. Trump's <laughs> tweeting. 877. Yeah. Another one, too. Slug to right field. That's it a ton. Grossman doesn't know where it is because it's gone. A mammoth two-run homer. For Justin Smoke to straightaway right field. His fourth of the season is a two-run shot, and it is 5-0 Blue Jays. We gave him some runs and uh, couldn't contain there. Tried to keep it as close as we could, but we pecked away, and, and it just kind of a familiar story. We couldn't we couldn't get over the hump. Wheel of Dysfunction! All right, you know what? Dave, why don't you give it a spin this morning, okay? Oh, that should be you fun. Go ahead. You give the wheel a spin. All here, right, right, okay, okay. Here we go. Ready? And spin that wheel, and around it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. Oh, oh, okay. Our patience for Lynn is wearing thin. Oh, I like oh, it. It's a new, it's, it's a, a new good topic twist to the wheel too. Yes, you know, it's, very good. It's almost as if I feel like the ba- the baseball whisperer is on fire these days. There's a two or three things the baseball whisperer nailed that we're going to get to. One of them being, remember what I told you when the Twins were negotiating with the Alex Cobb, Lance Lynn group of pitchers, and it was like March 10th, March 12th. Yep. It's almost like not facing professional hitters for 30 days leading up to the season matters. Lance Lynn now has an ERA over eight. Alex Cobb in Baltimore, ERA 13.11. Mm-hmm. He's Greg, a lighter. Yeah. Greg Holland sat out all of spring training. His yep. ERA in St. Louis, after being one of the best closers in baseball last year, is 7.36. So good luck to all you pitchers who sat around and threw bullpen sessions throughout the entire month of March. The problem, too, is this. Lance Lynn, typically his best month, has been the month of April. He is. He has 16 uh, wins during his career in April. A 3.63 ERA in the month, and of course, right now his ERA is off the charts terrible. So yeah, they uh, they might have suffered by the fact that the decision couldn't have been made much earlier to sign Lance Lynn and have him pitch a little bit in Fort Myers before this. But just another 
Flashback to 2016 last night, Phil Mackey. Just another flash. And, and by the way, memo to scoreboard operator at Target Field. I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to give you a lot of help. This is very simple. When an outfielder makes a good catch right now and Buxton's not playing, do not put up that damn nothing but what raindrops drop and that's it. They're, the, the slogan that they come up with, they came up with last year. Wait, they basically they put saying that up only, last night? only raindrops fall, all balls are caught. Unless it's hit Some, to Grossman and right with the yeah, game on the line. Somebody made a nice catch last night late in the game, and somebody Kepler, put that. And so, yeah, Kepler made a nice diving catch, and the scoreboard operator put that up on the board. No. As you just said, if Robbie Grossman is in your outfield, take that part of the scoreboard operation out of yeah. your arsenal for that day. Well, that was the so it wound up being that well they lost by one run, right? What's my yeah, they, they lost by two. They lost by two runs. The Jays so, so, came back and scored a late run. But too. I but immediately watching in the fourth inning last night, uh, and Buxton's out, and we don't know when he's going to come back. It's kind of a day to day, week to week thing with uh, with his foot right now, but. <laughs> His absence was felt in the fourth inning for sure defensively when it was a left-handed hitter for the Blue Jays. I can't remember who roped a ball deep to right field. Hernandez, yes. Okay, Hernandez. Uh, Grossman sort of, you know, rumbles over toward the warning track, sticks his glove up. He's He's not a good outfielder. And obviously if Buxton's playing in center field, and Kepler's playing in right field. Kepler catches that ball. Kepler camps under that ball. Yes. And, and so it puts runners on second, third with one out. They went on to score three runs in the inning. They scored one before the Justin Smoke home run. Now, he still might hit a home run if they convert that into an out. But the inning is, is definitely different. And that was the inning that broke the game open. And it was started because Byron Buxton's out. So, like, even it's even if he's not the one catching a ball in the gap on the fly in center field, just him not being there yep. and a guy like Grossman having to play Several times a week in the outfield is a huge problem. And so uh, Kepler made that nice play in center late, but there also was the play the the play that led to the last Blue Jay run was uh, Rosario in left field who somehow dropped a ball he got to. All right, so the outfield right now not great. Let's not act like defensively this is 2017 again. It's not close. But this team, it's just it. It's so frustrating right now to watch this team, and it's and Lance Lynn can't get things straight. And perhaps in a month he'll, he'll be fine. I don't know, but you go to these games now, and everything that you see is a flashback. And I want to say that the for the month of April, they are now they now ended up with maybe two more victories than they did uh, two years ago. And you watch this team, and the more that you watch this team, the more I lose hope that this is going to get turned around quickly, and Sano's not coming back anytime soon. Don't uh, fool yourself on that. Buxton, I think it was supposed to run uh, on Monday. He couldn't run yet, so this is just a weird year. I'm not even sure that Sano, I mean, Sano adds a power element to the lineup, but like ha- having him out and having Escobar play in the field more often, I'm not sure that that's, I mean, that might be a wash, especially if Escobar, yeah, Escobar's right. been the better hitter so far this year. You're probably right in the uh, field. But at least they're not going to go same old, same old. They're trying to shake things up. As the baseball whisperer told you yesterday. Baseball whisperer. He told you Hughes is cooked and you didn't listen. He whispers the call-ups. Fernando Romero. <laughs> Fernando. 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 The baseball Okay, you guys whisperer. are creeping me out now. You're starting to creep me out. I'm starting to get weirded out. Is a cold strike three, a fastball on the outside corner at 95 miles an hour. Five consecutive strikeouts for Romero, and now ten in the game. He is. Pro- you could debate whether he's their best pitching prospect right now, assuming that Barrios has emerged from prospect territory now that he's a big league pitcher. 
Uh, some would say Gonsalves. Some might you know go further down in the minor leagues, but but he's definitely one of your two or three best pitching prospects. He's a top 100 baseball America guy. Uh, strikeout per inning in 21 innings at Rochester this year, a two and a half ERA, and I think a lot of old Twins regimes would have ran Phil Hughes back out there because well we're paying him 13 million oh, this Terry year, we're paying him 13 million have. next year. Yes, and Terry this, would have. And this front office said, you know what? I think two starts is plenty. Let's put him in the bullpen, see if he can spark something in the bullpen. He actually, it might be a different pitcher now than he was like seven years ago, but he used to be a really good setup guy with the Yankees, Phil Hughes. If you can squeeze something out of him in the bullpen, that'd be good. But Fernando Romero, up a little earlier than they probably thought. Whisperer, congratulations. Strikes again. Romero. Who strikes more, the baseball whisperer or Fernando Romero? To the rotation. Of, of all the names to be tied into a prediction from the, the Whisperer, I think this might be the best one and in some ways the worst one. Fernando. Romero. <laughs> oh, is this a sports yeah, talk show? Are we about to launch into a discussion on porn? I can't. Well, usually you're the one that initiates those. So don't don't very... throw those on us. Ding, ding. I think we saw, you know, how tough he is. Uh, to come back and play uh, those last three games uh, and then to give us everything he had uh, going into the playoffs. And so uh, he needs a break, and then he'll, you know, ramp up his conditioning and and get ready uh, for next year. But I think, you know, we all saw the impact that he had on our team and the culture. Uh, I believe we were 37-22 and with him. Whether it's praise or criticism, I treat it the same. I, you know, to me, you only can control what you have, what you do, and so um, every day I put as much as I can into it, and I'm willing to live with the results, um, and that's the way I've always approached it. So I never concerned myself with uh, the critics. You know, I, I feel like I'm going to study the team harder than anyone, anyone else. So. I'm going to have a better understanding of the team also. Like, like, I don't think anyone... You know, it was Tom Thibodeau, obviously, responding to his critics. Somebody asked him yesterday about his critics. Yes. And I, like his response is a fair response. But I don't think anyone is questioning his work ethic or how much he puts in. It's not... No one's questioning how hard he works. People are questioning how smart he works or how he thinks about the game in 2018. Among my favorite questions to coaches and players is the simple one. Talk about the critics. <laughs> It's such a cop just talk out about too. those. Talk hey, about hey, the critics. I'm not, I'm not one of your critics. critics. I'm Tom, not one. I just want you to know I've never said a crossword about you. But talk about the critics but out there. But all these other people in here who've been hammering you, which I'm not talk one of the them. Talk about the naysayers. Yeah, <laughs> I love. I absolutely love that question. But like, there's a long no, list. It's not of, about his work. No, no. I mean, he responded in a way that was like, "Well, I work hard and yes. I grind every day." And it's like, no, like we totally get that. And actually, I respect that about him. I respect the fact that he puts in. 80 to 100 hours, which I don't know if that's the smart thing to do. Maybe recharge your battery once in a while and just be a better person, better leader. People question his leadership. People question his acumen for both offense and defense yeah, in, in this particular era of the NBA. Yeah, his No one's questioning whether he ethic. sits in a dark room yeah. with a sweatsuit grinding we know, film We know midnight. you grind film 24 hours a day, basically, Tom. Correct. That's not the question. I, but I just love that, that one. 
Talk about those who criticize you yeah. and what you think of, about them. Well, well, I really embrace them. Yeah, it's what, what were your main? We're, we're going to dive way into this. We have four hours to explore uh, the here, space. Here's on that. my main here's takeaway? my main takeaway. I've got one for, for you that's absolutely uh, important, and I believe it started after the Houston series got done basically that night, and it carried into yesterday. And it's this: the Andrew Wiggins trade platform has started. The Go back and and listen to what Tibbs said about Andrew after uh, Game 5 in Houston and then what he says about Andrew during his press conference yesterday. I believe this is a window into what the discussions will be when he talks to teams about trying to peddle him this offseason. This is Tibbs pumping Wiggins' trade tires, according to uh, Judd. He probably had a better all-around year this year than he did last year in terms of defense and what he contributed. I think the big thing... uh, with this summer, it he's not. It won't be clouded. Uh, last summer, he had uh, his contract that probably took something away from him uh, because you you know you're you're not going to be approaching things maybe the same way. So this summer will be great. I think the experience of the playoffs was was huge for him, and he did a lot of good things. Um, and I think we saw down the stretch. Uh, him playing a more complete game, and I think he can build on that. All right, let's start with last summer he was clouded. All right, this is a kid who knew that he was going to sign a max deal. Yes. He let that max deal sit there until October. It was basically slow. He it was all, on the table for like three months. Yes, right? all he had to do was go to Glenn, look Glenn in the eye and say, Mr. Taylor, I'm going to try hard. He was already under contract. There was zero concern. There was no no pending contract that, oh, my God, I might not get this deal. There was no question about it. It was a foregone conclusion. If you believe that Andrew Wiggins is that mentally weak, that a contract that's not going to kick in until the beginning of 2018-19 was affecting him in the summer of 2017, then you have a massive problem. But what he what Tibbs is trying to do here, I think, is he's trying to sell this on. Well, you gotta, hey Spurs, you gotta understand. Andrew was struggling with this, but I find it absolutely hysterical that anyone would think that a kid who knows he's going to get a max contract spent the summer just angst ridden about it. Yeah, I mean, if like you're right, it it was the off season, you know his. His injury risk of playing in the season on maybe a you know lingering contract status was was over, and they offered him the deal according to multiple reports pretty early. Like I, th- I think they wanted to wait. On th- it wasn't like right around the beginning of the league year. It was a few weeks after that because I think they were maybe exploring whether they were going to get Kyrie Irving or you know if they had to if they had to trade right. Wiggins for Butler or whatever it was. But that contract was sitting there for two months, and it was mostly on Andrew Wiggins whether he wanted to sign it. So if someone, if you knew in the back of your mind or in the front of your mind, someone's offering you $150 million over five years to play basketball. I couldn't function. I don't know how that would be. I just couldn't function. You couldn't get out of I'd bed I'd shut it down. Right. Entire season, so, I'd shut her down. Ridiculous. And not to mention, unlike other sports where baseball, you sign eight, nine, ten-year locked and loaded contracts. NBA contracts are short-term for the most part. The longest contract you can sign is a five-year contract. So... If we're talking about guys being clouded in uncertainty over contracts, well, wouldn't almost every player in the NBA, oh my God, my contract's going to come up and in like two years. And the money is known, correct? Yes. It's not It's not like, oh, am I going to get nine mil a year or eight? You know exactly what you're going to get. And it's going to be there's absurd no, amounts. There's no, clou- there's no cloudy here. Right. Nothing was cloudy whatsoever. There's a lot more meat on this bone. We'll get to it later in the show. Jason Stark is going to join us on this Tuesday at 1130 for uh, some... 
WTF Twins Talk and some trivia. We've got to put the Vikings draft to bed with Matthew Cother here for the rest of the hour. Terrence Newman resigned yesterday as well, which is interesting on a couple fronts. So we can get to that when we come back. It's Mackie and Judd. Actually, you know, I think I might know what Andrew Wiggins is suffering from. He's suffering the same from the same thing I actually suffered from a few years ago and that a lot of people are suffering from. It's called cellophobia. Maybe this is what happened. Maybe in Chris Lindahl and his uh, number one REMAX results team have the cure for this, by the way, where maybe uh, you've got a fear of selling your home because you don't think you'll be able to find one to buy. It's just kind of a mentally crippling experience. And a lot of people are having this problem right now where homes are selling fast and people are thinking, if I sell my house in like three days or five days because, heck, I'm working with the number one REMAX results team, Chris Lindahl, where am I going to live? I don't want there to be a gap. I don't want to have to get rushed into buying a home that I don't love. Well, the Chris Lindahl team is tapping into proprietary artificial intelligence to help sellers find homes that aren't listed on the MLS. The truth is there's thousands more homes available than you think, and the Chris Lindahl team has an exclusive way to tap into this process. ChrisLindahl.com, that's Chris with a K, or 763-401-SOLD. Mackie and Judd now continue. Just press play. On 1500 ESPN. All right. Can I get you guys to uh, to transition your off-air backup catcher mechanic breakdown into some meat and potatoes football discussion? Uh, can Mitch More Garver versatile. play another position? Can he play like right, I love? Right I field? love how you come in with a Mitch Garver catching breakdown. I bet Mitch Garver is a better defensive right fielder than Robbie Grossman right now. He's played corner outfield. He's played first base. I bet he's a. I bet I don't know if he catches that ball on the warning track last night in the fourth inning, but those two positions would better suit him. Last night, <laughs> because it's early in the season, I was surprised with how nice it is. But it's a Monday, so I just went on to uh, schmubschmub.net and found some really good tickets behind home plate for a very very reasonable price. I was like, oh, this is great. That's where we're, we're already at that point in the twin season. <laughs> we're like, yeah. you can just get like oh, yeah. champion. You just sit in the champions club. Yeah. We'll give you ten bucks. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. And so it was. Awesome. I mean, the stadium, as always, is beautiful. The weather <laughs> Thanks, was just—it was just absurd how beautiful it was last night. And I love to watch right behind home plate. I was actually sitting right next to some, some scouts, so right at that level that gives you a perfect view of pitcher, catcher, batter. And I love to watch the catchers the most. And Russell Martin, watching him up close, is just beautiful. His pitcher didn't really have it, but he was guiding him along. He was carrying Aaron Sanchez, who just couldn't really find the plate. And they did a great job of handling a lot of the Twins hitters. And then on the other side, Mitch Garver looked like he should be playing yeah. the outfield. But that's it, the thing. It, like, it they, was rough. He's a good hitter who I think if they could drop a perfect role for Mitch Garver, he'd be a backup catcher to a full-time catcher, but a guy who gets like 400 at-bats playing maybe first base, right field a little bit, maybe some DH and some backup catcher. But What I don't understand is what happened on the play where the guy nubbed it in front of the plate. Oh, the foul ball, fair ball? It was just a complete brain freeze. And you're supposed to be the field general yeah. there. You are supposed yeah. to be the one who's always dialed in, who is making the decisions on that play. You are the one that, that tells the pitcher, I got it on that play. You make the decision. Yep. So to completely lose your head on that one is baffling. Well, you pick up, and it, it was pretty simple because you pick up the ball. That the guy had to run. He's coming home. You, you pick up the ball fair and touch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. He's 27, too. He just so screwed it's, up. You know, he's, uh, it, it's not like he's like a 22, 23-year-old oh. super moldable guy. He's 27. He came up in a previous regime's pipeline that was mm. underdeveloped. 
throughout multiple parts of the organization. Not so, good. And then, and then there's a pass ball with a runner on base. So there's two runs that go to your catcher. You lose by two runs. And the biggest issue with him that I had, more than the pass ball, more than the mistake, the boneheaded mistake, was that his pitcher was not getting calls. And he didn't do anything about it. There was one where Russell Martin didn't get a call for his pitcher, and he sort of he moved sideways, moved moved sideways and looked back, and then yeah. moved the other way and looked back, Correct. and clearly was barking something. And instead, it was Lance Lynn who had to handle his own business there, when that should be the catcher who's taking care of that. There was a great moment. It was, uh, it was, I think it was like the second or third time Russell Martin did this. He turned to his left. There was a pitch that Fox Tracker actually had right on the corner. It was low and outside sort of with the eye test. So I see why the umpire called it a ball, but if there was an electronic strike zone, which there should be, uh, it would have been a strike. So Russell Martin lets it frame there for about two extra seconds, pulls the glove back, pounds his glove, points at his pitcher saying, yes, exactly. great pitch, and then turns sideways to bitch at the umpire uh-huh. covert. That's exactly yeah. it. And that command and that sort of presence and, is definitely necessary. And when you're a pitcher, you love a catcher you feel like has control of everything because then you can just focus on throwing the pitch that he calls. Yep. I would love to talk off the record to Lance Lynn and be like, what was it like throwing to Yachty? Now, just in, in comparison to what you've had here. Of course, in fairness, like Lance Lynn can't, he has no idea where his two seamer is going right now. Every time he throws that two seamer and it leaks like five inches off the corner and he just looks dejected and slumps his shoulders. But, but, but looking dejected and slumping your shoulders is where a catcher needs to step in. I mean, how many times have you seen Yachty or Molina or Russell Wilson, uh, Russell Wilson, Russell Martin, where, where <laughs> they step see, in too, by the way. Look at you, you can't help yourself. He is a baseball player. He is a baseball player. I'm just saying. Yeah. He's like New York Yankee. So, but but these these catchers who are just these warriors and these leaders, where they see some body language from their pitcher, well, yeah. they're gonna say it's a backup catcher though. But I don't care. I mean, Chris Jimenez a... was a backup catcher though, and Chris Jimenez was great at. He's this. He's an Iowa now, at Des Moines. I, I thought he, but I still thought he was great at this for backup catchers of just taking I command got... and being like, all right, hey, okay, because Kyle Gibson is a guy who gets down on himself out there in the mound, you know, slumps around or whatever. And you would see last year when Jimenez caught a bunch of starts of his in a row where he would go out. Like refuse to let him do that. Exactly. The problem here is you only get, this is going to be a thing here though, but you only get six mound visits as a team, including pitching coach and catcher or anyone in the infield per game. Which also, thank God for that. Thank you, Major League Baseball. I agree. It's awesome. But what happens is teams preserve their mound visits for spots later in the game when they might need them. So there's a time now where, not that Mitch Garver would would do this as a, I was going to say young, but inexperienced Major League catcher. You might hesitate in the second inning to burn a mound visit in a spot where previously it'd be a no-brainer There's to walk up. There's one problem there. here. What happens, because there, I, I don't think that they have ever came up with a solution, once your six are gone... There's been no real word about what they're going to do. Oh, they, t- they tase uh, you in 15-yard penalty. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I got some bad news. The umpiring crew in town, Adrian Johnson, is behind the plate tonight. As far as I recall, he's terrible. And your third base umpire, Phil Cuzzy, last night. Phil Cuzzy. So you got a real good umpiring crew for this series. You know, Joe Mauer, Joe Mauer hit one like 20 feet inside the left field line at one point, and I was a little nervous about Phil Cuzzy being able to identify it. Um, Terrence Newman is going to be 40 years old mm-hmm. when the season starts. There's a, there's a, I, I'd love for you to tell a few more anecdotes to the listeners in case people forgot about him and, and Dalvin Cook from last year. But I mean, for a quarterback to get to 40 years old and still play in the NFL and play at a high level is an amazing accomplishment. I mean, this is bordering on one of the great NFL accomplishments of our lifetimes yeah. to be that old at that position and still 
be under contract as a guy that is used as one of the I mean, he's used among a top five defenses, you know, main rotation. Yeah, and he played 53% of snaps last year. So mm-hmm. this is not even a guy who's just kind of on the bench and every once in a while shows up. He won a job in training camp last year at the nickel corner when he came in expected to kind of just be a defensive back and be a situational or rotational player. And then he just played better than Mackenzie Alexander in camp and he won the job. And it wouldn't even shock me with him if, if he did it again. And I, I talked to Eric Hendricks about him last year, and Kendricks said, "Like this is a f- this is a freakish thing. Like as far as him being an athlete, he kind of compared it to LeBron James in a way where you're like, this is not normal. This is some mutation that yeah. is not right for a guy to be able to do it for this long. But something that veteran players, especially highly highly intelligent ones, are able to do is they learn to pick their spots and how not to get hurt." playing football. And I think that that's been a major factor for him. I listen to Joe Thomas's podcast all the time, and he did a whole like 10 minutes on all the details that he went to, to not get hurt because he played 10,000 snaps in a row. And some of these guys are just on a a next level that we can't understand as normal people for this game. And I think Terrence Newman's one of them and also his leadership ability and what he's meant to the locker room. It can't be understated. He has all these understudies, including Eric Hendricks, but especially Xavier Rhodes. He and Xavier Rhodes have become very close. And Newman leads off-day film sessions where it's just him in the corners. So he's running it like he's already a coach. So half of the salary you're paying him is basically to be a coach out there. And he's done this for all sorts of guys. I mean, there was a guy that had no shot at making the team last year that he spent 20, 30 minutes after practice in training camp working with on his backpedal. I mean, so so he'll do this for just about anybody. And then with you mentioned Delvin Cook, the first thing they did when they drafted Delvin Cook, because they were a little concerned about the character issues and some of the problems he had had, they put a locker right next to Terrence Newman, and those two became close. And Delvin Cook, just a couple weeks ago when we talked to him, one of the things he said was that he spent the offseason or this time recovering from his knee injury studying and learning the game of football. And I'm sure he might have done that himself. But guess who probably helped facilitate that? It was Terrence Newman. So his impact, you see it everywhere. So what what does this move mean as far as the uh, uh, potential depth chart now? Are we going? Uh, are we going opening day potentially? Rhodes, Wayne's outside, Terrence inside still. And and my real question is this: despite the, the fact that, that we heard that this had nothing to do with with McKenzie at, at all, the drafting of Hughes. Uh, how much is this now a potential to uh, bypass McKenzie altogether and go right from, ideally for them at least, what might be uh, Newman to Hughes transitioning into that uh, slot role? So I, I don't have a sense yet for Hughes as a person in terms of his football intelligence, um, but I think he has a chance to win that job in training camp or split it with Terrence Newman. I think McKenzie Alexander is now a rotational corner who is just going to give Xavier Rhodes, Trey Wayans, somebody else a, a rest, or he's just depth if someone gets hurt. And last year, Pro Football Focus ranked him 116th out of 120. And when we got to the playoffs, he was exposed pretty badly, especially on fourth down to Willie Sneed in the divisional game where Drew Brees decided to target Alexander. I I think that he showed kind of what he is, where there were moments you were happy with him and he made a couple plays on the ball, but there were also other moments that he really struggled.
struggled. And one of the things that these other corners have that he doesn't in terms of the ceiling, because every time his name gets brought up, it's, hey, but but Zimmer, but Zimmer's a genius. He'll get the most out of him. His athletic profile isn't anywhere close to Trey Wayne's and Xavier Rhodes. So when you're looking for what the, the ceiling is on a player, the ceiling on Rhodes and Wayne's because of their size and their speed, I mean, it's superstar. But with Alexander, it was always, well, can he just be a player? And that's why he's a second-round pick, not a first-round pick. And I think what we see now is kind of what he's going to be, and that's one of the reasons that they drafted Hughes. I would never buy into, oh, yeah, we, we just drafted another corner for no reason at all. He just was... I Nothing mean, to see here. Just he was on our board, yeah. guys. He was on our board. Well, I, I'm pretty sure it had something to do with it. And Hughes, as a prospect, I think that there was a mistake made in not coming away with a starting guard in this draft. But Hughes is a phenomenal prospect. Let's come back and talk more about. I mean, th- this is their team now. You know, b- barring some waiver claim or or some nondescript signing at this point, free agency's over. The draft is over. So. This is the Vikings' response to losing in uh, blowout fashion to the Eagles in the NFC Championship game. Is it good enough? Let's discuss. Matthew, Matthew Collar hanging out with us from the Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com, Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil Mackey. You know, talking about a good kid, it makes it easy to root for. He's a solid young man. I really like him a lot. Judd Zolgad. You know, Uh-oh. that's a shame. <laughs> but... Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. We had a lot of needs. I think we wanted to go out and just sign the best football players we can and create as much competition at each position as we can create. And I think the more quality you have at the positions, um, the more competition you can create at each position, uh, it brings guys up another notch. And uh, we're very excited not only with what we're able to accomplish in free agency, uh, but also the addition of this draft class. Football. We love this draft class. Everybody loves this draft class. Come on! Football! Well, this is is it. Collar's in with us. Collar and Judd, you can find them 10 to noon on Saturday Sports Talk, Purple Podcast. Uh, the Vikings, it, they certainly didn't sit back when they got smoked by the Eagles in the NFC Championship game. They added a $30 million a year quarterback, Sheldon Richardson. They added uh, a former 1,000-yard receiver as their number three guy, and they just went through with their draft. So let's let's start with Collar on this. I mean, do you, do you think this was a good response to the way their season ended, and how do you feel now that this is their team? I think they made a huge mistake not – trading up in the second round and getting one of the top guard prospects. I mean, this is a draft class that I looked at for weeks with every guard and came away with the conclusion, having watched each one of them talk to my offensive line people. Uh, yeah, I have offensive line people. The fact that you have um, offensive line people just yeah. is my favorite Rolodex. thing about you. No, I, uh, a on football the Rolodex. Purple Podcast, I'm also coming out with an article film breakdown on Brian O'Neill. And, uh, I mean, I... We can all look at a wide receiver and tell a lot of the things they do, but offensive line is a little more difficult, I think. So I reach out to people who know specifically a lot about that. But anyway, so, you know, I broke down all these different guys, the Will Hernandez, the Isaiah Wynn, Frank Ragnow, Connor Williams. And I came away thinking, my goodness, I mean, they could come, they could draft one of seven guys and you'd be happy. You'd plug the guy right into right guard and you'd feel like you had an above average player there. There's so many good guards. So first day, Isaiah Wynn, Frank Ragnow, my two favorites, they come off the board there. Of course, Quentin Nelson's a freak show, so he's off. Uh, McGlinchey's off. Well, all right, those are the guys I expect to go. 
But then you get to 30, everybody else is there. Okay, you draft a corner. That means either someone has to drop to you in the second or you need to trade up. And when I looked at the second round and the, the way guys were rated and ran the draft simulations, it turned out to be pretty accurate in some, some cases. Everything said, you ain't getting a good guard by number 62. And you're going to have to trade up. In this situation, it would have made a lot of sense to take an asset from 2019 and say, all right, you know, third rounder from 2019, let's tack that on with a sixth rounder here. Let's move up and make sure we get James Daniels or make sure we get Connor Williams because those guys can play right guard now. And instead, you are left with this huge question mark going into training camp. Can O'Neal actually play? I think the answer is no for right now. That he could be a great player. He could be a superstar left tackle. That's possible for this for this guy. Next year, can he do it? I don't really think so. And that's where you say you came away from this draft with good prospects in these first two guys. But I think you failed your one and only goal of the draft. So in your mind, did they did they get caught here? Did did they get surprised? And and now with with what they have, collar at guard, what's the most likely thing to happen here? Well, part A is yes, they did get surprised because both Jamal Stevenson, who's the lead scout, and Rick Spielman said, "I don't remember ever seeing guards come off this fast." Well, I saw it that morning on my draft sims, but I I mean. They should have called you. I, I'm just saying. Hey like, guys, I'm I doing draft sims. Here's here. what I think. As silly as it is, it was right though. It okay, turned out but, to but be he, correct. Here's what happened. All right, and this is. I mean, and we could debate whether this is my opinion on what happened. I don't. I don't think it was that they ignored one of the most glaring needs on the team. I think they were doing a balance of obviously they're looking long term, and the argument here could be: listen, maybe you could, uh, maybe you could, maybe you could just like forget about long term for a minute while you have a chance to win the Super Bowl, and I'll listen to that argument too. Rick Spielman has had a lot of success rounds three, four, and five in the last four or five years. I think, to, let's say he he figured, well, we have to trade up into like the 40s to get a guard that we want, or maybe even up higher than that. If you wanted like Will Hernandez, you're going to have to trade up basically a full round. If he thought that would cost them a third or a fourth round pick, in his mind, or a fifth round pick even, because Stefan Diggs was a fifth round pick, he's thinking... Man, we've landed David Morgan, Stefan Diggs, Daniil Hunter, Jarek McKinnon, Rhett Ellison, Jarius Wright, uh, Josh Robinson was a starter for a while. In 2012, they drafted him. Like in Rick Spielman's mind, he's thinking, we could move up, but I would have to give up like the next Rhett Ellison or the next <laughs> Stefan Diggs potentially yeah. to make that happen. So I don't I don't think he feels comfortable coming away with only six draft picks or something or or foregoing but, that chance to snipe a but starter for a in the plug and round. play guy in in a year where you're expected to contend for a championship, I think that's an easy call. But you guys are also assuming that the guy you got in the second round would be a viable, workable starting right guard for the entire season. It's very likely, though, with this class that there were seven or eight guys who you would put right in there, and the last one goes off the board. Connor Williams, he goes off the board at fifty, so you only would have had to move up twelve spots to get him. And that might cost you a next year's third. I understand that this group, that Spielman, that Zimmer, that they all believe they're going to be here for a really, really long time. And I don't think that you should just make reactionary moves with the exception of you can win the Super Bowl right now and you really, really need a right guard. And guard is a position where a guy can step right in. This isn't like if you draft a corner in the first round, you expect him to change your life. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he needs three years to do that. 
if you draft a guard, you can. And we saw this from Pat Elfline at center last year. And center's a tougher position. You can make an immediate impact as a rookie like that. And with this team having a great chance and just having spent $84 million on their quarterback with a roster that went 13-3 and last year and was in the NFC Championship, this would be the exception to the rule. And for as many times as they have hit on a later guy, Daniil Hunter or Stephon Diggs, there are lots of other times where they haven't come close to any of those guys making an impact. And I, I get what, like what they were thinking, but to not come away with that starter now, as you asked earlier, you kind of have disarray, Judd. You have, is Rashad Hill going to be your starting right tackle? I don't really love that considering who they're going to play against this year. Is Mike Remmers now moving positions? Does Mike Remmers stay? Does Tom Compton play, a guy who's been a career backup and has never been scored well when he's actually been in the game? Does Danny Isidoro, who's a fifth-round pick who played 40 snaps, play? This shouldn't be a question for you when all you had to do was just take the best guard on the board and you're upset. Is there also an element here, too, of they they put so many free agent eggs into the Kirk Cousins basket, and uh, not that there was like a sea of amazing offensive linemen to choose from, but did they, and I'm not even faulting them for choosing stability at quarterback over, over uh potentially going after an offensive lineman, but were there other opportunities in free agency, either in the first wave or one of the second waves that they missed out on? The guards were so expensive that it would have been tough, which is why guards go high now. Uh huh. That's the thing. That's, right. is, That's is, exactly right. If they, and, and if they got haughty and said, well, Elfline dropped to us in the third round a year ago. That's the exact re- reason why interior guys didn't drop this time. Because if you look at Elfline's success and you are Detroit, you're going to say, you know what we're we're going to do? We're going to grab a guy th- this yep. time. So I think it all I think it all conspired to make it obvious that if you didn't take uh, that if you didn't take a guard thirtieth in the first round, that to your point, Collar, you had to trade up. And mm-hmm. and I'm sorry, but when you are a Super Bowl potential Super Bowl winning team, I can't sit there if I'm GM and say, Mike, I got to think about 2020. I got to think about 2018 so immediately. Is mm-hmm. it possible so is it possible that they think Brian O'Neill could start week 1 with an amazing offseason or that their 6th round pick from Appalachian State Colby Gossett could be in play. I mean, they did draft a guard in the sixth round. Colby Gossett is a great pick, but anybody in the sixth round should not be thought of as a potential starter, mm-hmm. just at, at all, ever. I mean, look at the sixth round picks that they've taken in the past. There's one over the last three years. They love their sixth round picks. Oh, we're so good at finding these guys late in rounds. There's, what do you mean? Moritz Boehringer was a great yeah, sixth round pick. That's what I mean. Is, Mobo! Is, is, Bucky Hodges last year. Oh, we <laughs> love what a steal we got with Bucky Hodges. And that's fine. Well, David Morgan was. And running. that's fine in years that you don't think that you're potentially going to contend for a Super Bowl. Yep. I'm all for the build thing. I, I list the sixth round picks are great, but there are windows that open if you are if you follow the Vikings. We can recite the years that the windows have been firmly open. This is one of them. You don't get cute. You do um, what you need to, to do. And by the way, this was the only position that I thought you got to go get this spot. Yep. There were no defensive. You There were places to add depth to that would be nice. But this was the one position where you said, okay, plug and play guy here, and you're pretty, you're in really good shape. I mean, the, the, the funny thing is about this draft, too, and how good it is for offensive line, especially at the guard position. The last guy taken in the second round before the Vikings went, Connor Williams, 
is one of the best athletes at his position, an absolute freak, played left tackle for Texas, a high-end program, is explosive, is mean, is nasty, and was mostly projected as a first-round pick in 2016, had an injury and tried to play through it and struggled at times, and then they're not quite sure, is he a guard, is he a tackle, and with uh, Dallas being all set at left tackle, he's going to play guard. But I mean, that's how he was. A, he's a great prospect. He was projected by some in the first round. I mean, that's the last guy taken. That tells you how good this was. It wasn't like, ah, well, those two or three guys got taken, and we just didn't want to spend on somebody who's mediocre. The last guy who got taken was a great prospect. But to your question, could O'Neill start this year? He definitely could. I mean, he is a perfect fit. I, I wrote a, an article with the guys who best fit their running scheme and what they want to do with screen passes, more than likely. And O'Neal was one of my five because he is an incredible athlete. He's super fast. He's great in space. He finds people, linebackers, safeties to hit. And that's what they need. They might say, you know what? Sometimes this guy's going to get bull rushed right back into the quarterback, but we're just going to deal with that because he is good at these other skills. And if they translate quickly, he could end up being the starter. Yeah. let's. I want to ask you a couple more questions about uh, other players that they drafted, assuming that you've just been swimming in film the last couple days here. So let's come back, talk more NFL Vikings with Matthew Collar. It's Mackie and Judd in the TCL Broadcast Studios. And we have one of our favorite pecking orders in recent history here coming up at 10 o'clock, too. Mackie and Judd now continue. Oh, well, that just makes my nipples hurt. <laughs> 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 On 1500 ESPN. Save the date for the fourth annual Town Ball Classic returning to Target Field Saturday, May 26th, presented by 1500 ESPN. And the Minnesota Twins day kicks off at 10 a.m. with the Class C ball game, followed by Class B and Class A to wrap up the day. All the games broadcast here on 1500 ESPN. And if you want to go down to the ballpark, tickets are just 10 bucks and good for the entire day. Proceeds from the event benefit the Twins Community Fund. For more info or to purchase your tickets, head to 1500ESPN.com. Keyword, town ball. Football. Come on! Football! All right. Did the Vikings pretty much just do the Blair Walsh thing all over again. 100%. So Blair Walsh, I think, was a sixth rounder. Daniel Carlson is a fifth rounder. Yes. Blair Walsh went to South Carolina or Georgia? Blair Walsh went to Georgia. Georgia, so SEC. Yeah. And Daniel Carlson, SEC, went to Auburn. Right down to the crappy senior year where Daniel Carlson went only 23 of 31, but probably has a huge leg, and Mike Prefer <laughs> likes him and can fix him. It's the Blair Walsh experiment all over again. <laughs> so last year they found a some rando guy who had a huge leg and he almost beat Kai Forbath for the job. I think he missed. And just to show you how absurd these kicking competitions are, he missed an extra point in the last preseason game. And they're like, Oh, that's the difference. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. I don't think you have any clue who's going to kick better this guy or this guy, but uh, okay, that's fine. And so Forbath has been great. 88.7% of his field goals. I know he's missed a couple extra points. I love hearing people say, well, this guy's made all his extra points. Yeah, because it's from five feet away. Yeah. Right. I'm sure Kai <laughs> Forbath would too. Um, but drafting a kicker in the fifth round is so incredibly indefensible that a friend of mine did a study on this a few years back and found that drafted kickers, when actually playing in the NFL, consistently perform worse than undrafted kickers because undrafted kickers actually have to earn the job as opposed to the Roberto Aguayos who had no 
reason for ever being in the NFL, but he was drafted, so they gave him a Wasn't shot. Wasn't that dude like yes. a second or third round he pick? He was, second oh round pick. God. And so <laughs> yep. the, the Vikings, what they've essentially done is they have now locked themselves in, unless they want to cut someone who was a fifth round pick. They have foregoed a 90% kicker to lock themselves into someone who's never kicked in the NFL before. Because they are, because they're infatuated with one thing. Legs the big strength, leg. The yeah. big leg. All the touchbacks. But but you you bring up the best point, uh, and it's this one, Collar, is the fact that, yes, four bats miss PATs drove you crazy. But I love the immediate stat I saw on Saturday. Carlson never missed a, a PAT. And, oh, by the way, the college PAT, the line of scrimmage is the two-yard yeah, line right. still. Right. I'm sure Forbath wouldn't have missed any of those either. And um, there will be no, just for those who think that there's going to be a kicker competition here, Kai Forbath's not going to get near training camp, he okay? Should, he should be looking for other jobs right now, uh, which which doesn't make any sense. I mean, the guy made a 52-yard field goal in the divisional playoff game to put you ahead at the end. It is weird. It's weird. It, it, it is funny, though, that NFL executives... For the most part, except for the Vikings right now, treat kickers like fantasy football players do, which is like just just get your whole roster and then at the very end, just whatever, wh- whichever kicker is available. But once in a while, somebody will stretch for like the Patriots kicker five rounds before they should. And everyone looks at them like, really? There's still like wide receivers on the board. Yeah. Why are you drafting a kicker right now? Uh, right, That's what I don't understand either. And then the explanation was, well, he's the highest guy on our board. And my question is, how? Why? How? How <laughs> right. could any kicker be higher than any real player? Draft whichever guard is the highest on your board <laughs> in yeah. the fifth round. No, I know. Draft guards from the fifth round all the way through because, the end and hope that one pans out. Because the thing that drives you crazy sometimes about Rick is I'm convinced he just gets cute. He gets yeah. too cute. Yep. He th- he thinks to himself, I'm going to do it again, and, and, and this time it's going to work. The Blair Walsh yeah. project Even, is going to work. And I know it's not. And, and and I value the kicker. Okay, I know that he needs to make kicks, but your kicker already has done that. Like, you have a good kicker. So what would be the purpose of drafting one? Also, the undrafted kickers are just as likely to be great as this kicker, who, as you mentioned, that's wasn't the, even that good last year. That's the point. You could you could find this guy after the draft. This guy, I w- it's it is so much more defensible, and it's not even close to draft a punter like the somebody drafted a punter who there kicks were three it. three taken right. Yeah, Packers. Yeah, but there's one who's an absolute freak show who had a net average of 45. Mm-hmm. That punters, there's very little difference between this guy and that guy. But if you have the one guy who's an absolute freak, it's a difference maker. Mm-hmm. I mean, Quigley last year had no touchbacks, which is unrepeatable, I'm sure, but. I mean, that was valuable for them, that he was constantly pinning people back. And if you have a three and out at the 20 and you have some dude that gives you 10 extra yards on his punt or whatever it might be, 10 extra net yards, that's worth something. Mm-hmm. Having Drafting a kicker when it's a complete crapshoot, whether the guy's going to be any good, when you already have a known commodity that is good is the most mind-blowing thing in the whole world. Okay, so once we get past the second round here, between let's let's go the last six guys they drafted, I don't think you're going to choose the kicker, but uh, the defensive end from Ohio State, you got uh, this tight end from Central Michigan, Tyler Conklin, and then so you know the other guys. Which one do you think is most likely to still be on the team like three or four years from now and contributing? Of the late round picks? Yeah. So um, from like from Jalen Holmes all, all the way on back. I think yeah, I think Jalen Holmes. Okay. It. With, this is where it's sort of funny with the Vikings. There, you mentioned getting too cute, but there's also the you probably trust them with defensive linemen. Even Shamar Stefan from the one year he played too much to last year yep. as a rotational player, he did a really nice job. And that's a guy that they developed over a number of years to be a very good fill-in player. 
And with Holmes, he gets with Andre Patterson. He's around other great defensive linemen. You would think that he'd have a chance to make an impact there and then eventually maybe take over for Sheldon Richardson if that's a really good fit for him. Uh, Conklin, I don't know. The the tight ends that are drafted in the fifth or sixth round, I until I really see something. Bucky from Hodges them, worked out great. Yeah, and so what did Michael Pruitt. I mean, this guy has great hands, and he has great leaping ability, and he's not the fastest, which I think is kind of a turn from where they went before. They went with, oh, he ran a really great 40. Yeah, but he can't run a route, and he's really dumb, which is the Bucky Hodges story. But... This, is that going to be a lifetime movie or, or yeah, a thirty for thirty? He can't run around, comma, and he's really dumb. E sixty reports. Yeah, I, that was that was the Bucky Hodges problem and possibly the Michael Pruitt problem as well. I didn't know him much, but uh, with Conklin, he's more of a football player, and th- instead of just a freak athlete, that may have been a better decision. But what's the ceiling on the guy who runs a four eight? Mm, probably not that high. And so I think with Kyle Rudolph, he's got this position locked down for now, and we will see what they decide to do with it in the future. Maybe next year is the the point that they take somebody else. They might have had to reach on Dallas Goddard, but I think you would have been happy with that in the first round to just add another weapon to the offense. Um, But then he wasn't available in the second round, so there wasn't much you could do there. You can find all kinds of great draft recap content, written, audio, uh, 1500ESPN.com, Matthew Collar. These guys do a show on Saturdays, too, Saturday Sports Talk, 10 to noon, that Judd loves. It's a great show. We always have a lot of fun on that show. I don't know what you're talking about. So much fun all the time. Just ask Matthew. Mm -hmm. You can find Matthew Collar on (laughs) 1500ESPN.com, the Purple Podcast, and also now Saturday Sports Talk. Yes, 10 to uh, noon with, uh, with me. Lots of fun, Matthew. Lots of fun. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks. Thanks, Jed. All right. Thanks, Jed. All right. Bye, Matthew. See you, Collar. All right. Pecking order when we return. Hi, I'm John Henney, fourth generation owner of Henney Jewelers in Shadyside. When it comes to shopping for a diamond engagement ring, be sure you're getting the very best value. Before you think about purchasing a ring anywhere else, please stop into Henny Jewelers to compare. Our friendly team will make you comfortable and never pressure you. We are confident will help you find or create your dream ring at the absolute best value. Stop into Henny today or go to hennyjewelers.com to make an appointment. Henny Jewelers, we're your jewelers for life.